So I, I said to myself one day, I very much remember driving down the LIE at 5.30 in the morning, and this thought hit me like a brick. I said, just do it yourself. I had never considered being an entrepreneur. I was fine being a salesman, working for a company. I did not have that drive that many of the young people do. They, they want to be on their own. They want to do their own thing. And I just kind of, I had to be one. Welcome to the In Factor, conversations with entrepreneurs who started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and I'm excited to welcome Tom Kehoe to the show today. Tom is the CEO of Idiom Publishing, and I'm especially excited because he's a University of Tampa alumnus uh, where I teach. So Tom, thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. So pleased to be here, Rebecca. Well, this is really fun, um, and and it, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. I think we met over LinkedIn, right? Is that how we connected? No, I the the university sends out museum. Is that the name of the yes, magazine? Yes, yes, yes. And I read about your program, and I was excited about it. So then I reached out to you on that's that. right, that's right. So so. Uh, so you are a University of Tampa alumnus, and uh, I think you said you live in Long Island. And um, so tell me uh, a little bit about your background. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, how did you find your way? Where, where are you from originally, and how did you find your way to the University of Tampa? Well, I, I originally I, I, was born, I was born in New York City, moved to Westchester when I was just a wee lad, and stayed there for 18 years. And then my first move in my whole life was down to the University of Tampa, uh, where I had, um, I, I found out about the university when, when one of the, um, uh, the, the people selling the, the university came by and I learned about them. I, I flipped through the yearbook and I said, this is where I want to go. I applied for one school, that was it. And uh, was fortunately accepted and um, it, was, it was really good. Now that was that a big move for you to to because that that you know we get a lot of students from all over the place and uh, so was that did, did any of your friends come too or was that just something you no no it was no friends um, and interestingly a long time ago but I I think nearly forty percent of the students were from New York I mean just in a, a very large number uh, were from New York. And then the locals who, who I really bonded with. I, I love, I love Southerners. I just love them, learned to love them from my experience down there. <clears throat> and so was it hard? No, no. I was 18, ready for changes, making things happen. So I was excited. And then, and there's things I, I wanted to do and accomplish while I was at the university that, um, that the university made. That two, two reasons I want to go there is to uh, scuba dive, and play football. <laughs> and then, oh yeah, the degree, fine, fine, I get a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. But it, now you're an entrepreneur. So tell us a little bit about what you do. You're CEO of Idiom Publishing. Uh, what is Idiom Publishing and wh what do you do there? <laughs> Idiom, everything, by the way. <laughs> and Idiom is, uh, <clears throat> is the first company to enter the, uh, the digital yearbook marketing space. Uh, there, there are digital products, but they're, they're ostensibly PDFs of a yearbook that are jammed into a phone. Um, I have been in the yearbook industry since 
1976, when I graduated, um, became a salesman because that just kind of made sense. And so about six or so years ago, um, I was starting to realize that the print yearbook is going to go away at some point. And my clients began asking me for a digital solution. So I went out looking for one and there was nothing. So I, I said to myself one day, I very much remember driving down the LIE at 530 in the morning. And this thought hit me like a brick. I said, just do it yourself. I had never considered being an entrepreneur. I was fine being a salesman, working for a company. I did not have that drive that many of the young people do. They, they want to be on their own. They want to do their own thing. And I just kind of, I had to be one. I went home that night, got home about nine o'clock and I went right up to my computer here in my office and I did my research. What, okay, what do I do next? And I went online and realized I have to write a business plan. And I, don't laugh at me, please. I wrote a 61 page business plan. It was, it was, a, it was art. <laughs> Only later did I realize that no venture capitalists are probably not going to read a 61 page business plan. And, uh, and so I started the process of first designing the product. What's, what's it going to be? What's it going to do? And I based that on me having been out of high school at that point for uh, over 40 years. What, what would I like? What, what is a yearbook? A yearbook is, is memories. That's it. Well, I'm in the information memory business. And there's stuff that I wanted, I wished I could have done, especially for high school, which was a, a different experience, certainly, than, than, than college was. Uh, and I got, of course, the, the UT yearbook. It was given away at the time. I hope it still is. And, um, and so I figured out what the product's going to be, did my design work, uh, brought a, a couple of people in on the team, uh, then had to figure out, oh, oh, I need to get some more money. I say some more money because I've been bootstrapping this thing. I've got a well over a quarter million dollars into it, and I'm not a rich man. So it's been difficult to do that. And so one of the first <clears throat> The first substantive things I did, I found a an incubator, a startup incubator in. I'm pointing over here, across that. We're right on the water on the uh, the Long Island Sound. So right across the water is a uh, Westchester, and a guy named Les Newman owned the incubator, and he said, "Yes, yeah, send me your business plan." And he nearly cried when, but he read it. Met me in Brooklyn one day, and and he thought. This is something pretty special. And the, the very short version of, <clears throat> of him, he eventually uh, sold his incubator and, and asked me in a very poignant moment um, if he could be part of this. And I was uh, you know, real thrilled to bring him in. And, and, he's, and he's become the business of the business guy, all the stuff that instead of getting a degree in biology and chemistry, which had been fairly useless to me, uh, I can't tell you the last time somebody asked me for the uh, generic name of a blue crab, Kalanectia sepidius, by the way, just in, <laughs> just in case you need to know. Um, I wish I'd taken a business uh, degree. Oops, oops, whatever. And so he's handling, or he's handling most of the the stuff when we're dealing with investors, we're dealing with attorneys and whatnot. And of course, I'm immersed 
in, in the product, in marketing and sales at all, which works out very well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, filling in the gaps with somebody who's got the expertise and the experience and the knowledge that you don't have. And that's a great lesson, I think, to learn. So uh, that's, that's a great story. Um, I love that you spent many years in the industry because, you know, when we talk about how do you recognize opportunity, I always tell my students, uh, you know, look for a problem. That's where you're going to find opportunity. And so you uh, started to recognize a, a problem. Um, I also love that you started in sales because I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, a sales background can be really uh, powerful because you are uh, with the customer a lot. So you were getting feedback from the customers that this might be uh, something um, that would be of interest. So take us through a little bit of understanding how this yearbook industry works. Who, who well, is if, your... If, 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 if... If, if I could, I'm sorry, I, I just interrupted, I apologize, but I, I want to circle back to the sales thing that, that you just addressed and just because I, I think this is really, really, really important. And then we'll go sure. into the, the more question and sales. If the, the entrepreneurs who don't necessarily need to be salesmen, uh, salespeople, are the ones who have come up with a, a very highly technical product that you just explain it to the industry and the industry says, oh yeah, we get this, we want this. Most of us are not there. <clears throat> so, whereas I, as a salesman, uh, yes, and you're exactly right. I, you know, I, I realized there's a, there's a problem. I created a solution. I taught, I was, I wasn't still am in the print side of the industry and I was able to talk to people. What do you like? What do you dislike? I was doing um, uh, various sessions and whatnot with them. However, that's just part of it. In you have to sell investors. You have to sell um, people that you want to bring onto your team. So it's constant selling. And I will suggest that anybody who does not have a salesman. I mean, right now they're thinking as I did, I need to bring in somebody for, for my business part of it and, and the technical part, my CTO and whatnot. But I don't think people often think to themselves, I really need to bring on a salesperson if they are not uh, reasonably talented salespeople. So I, I wanted to make that real clear and I hope that will help out some people because salesmen aren't terribly hard to find. Just got, find the guy who's talking all the time and making people laugh. You know, be, before we get into uh, digging into understanding your industry a little bit more, tell us how you learned to sell, because that wasn't your uh, academic training. So how did you learn to sell? How did that get started for you? Well, that, you know, it's a great question. Uh, the the um, <clears throat> There are no courses. There are no courses. I mean, certainly in normal education in high school, in college. I don't know if you guys now have. We do, we do, sales, yes. Sales 101, okay, fantastic. I wish I wish I, uh, I had that. However, now the, the question begets, are salesmen created or are they born? And I'm gonna come down on the born side. My dad was a salesman. I got his personality. It's, uh, I, I, I love genetics, well, you know, stuff that I, I had obviously studied in college. But how did how did I get like this? Well, it was a combination of of, the, of DNA and life experiences. My youngest son, who's now in his thirties, um, 
he's got my personality and he, and he is a remarkable salesman also. My older son has some of that and that's been, actually he has a lot of that. So um, I'm seeing that as a genetic factor and whatnot. And so when I say to the entrepreneurs, okay, you realize that you just don't know how to talk to people well, go find somebody and who do you find? Ask somebody, hey, are you a good salesman? Well, students in their 18, 20, they don't want to be salesmen. Nobody wants typically to be a salesman, or at least it wasn't my day, because salesmen were looked at as used car salesmen, insurance salesmen, those really annoying people who ask you two, two or three questions, and as soon as you give a, a positive answer, they say, but how many do you want? God, you know, and that's embarrassing, but that's kind of the impression that many people have of salesmen. Um, so they will need to go out and, and spend time at parties, at events or whatever, meet people who just have that outgoing personality. Well, that outgoing personality translates to probably being a salesman as well as reasonable intellect, intellect and, and the ability to shut up and listen. Um, which is, you know, that sales 101 it took me a little while to figure that out because I tend to be just a little bit verbose and I kind of like to talk a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that, that's such a good point, right? Because uh, the, the customer will tell you everything you need to know if you pose the right questions and then and then be quiet and listen. Yeah, exactly. Shut your mouth. So, um, so you learned on the job, basically, did you have training? Did you have mentors along the way? You know, unfortunately I never had a mentor and, and that kind of makes me a little bit sad. And I don't know why that never happened. Um, as far as the training, certainly you get into a, a sales job, you're going to have sales training and they will give you the stuff that is at, at my time, this is in the, in the 1970s, sales was not quite as sophisticated, really anywhere near sophisticated it is right now. But, you know, they, they taught us if the customer says this, then say this, which did not work, never worked for me because I'm, I'm very extemporaneous. And so, yes, learned that on the job by talking to people. And it was really, it, it was who I am, which suited me very well. I was able to be who I am and not have to be somebody else. I'm very uh, gregarious. And I have a couple of friends in the industry who are, you never would think they're salesmen. They're really serious. They're not very fun. And yet a couple of them have been wildly successful. So you don't necessarily have to be this, what you're, what you're seeing right now. Um, so that's that's pretty much where that, uh, where I, that came, came yeah. from. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I think there, you know, it, with um, there, there is that debate about entrepreneurship, whether you're born or made, and and uh, same thing with sales. And I think a lot of it is. Uh, I think there's a, a mix, basically, and and um, you know, a lot of marketing and selling is is about communicating and reading your your the person that you're communicating with, understanding how what you're saying is is. Um, is is uh, affecting them and and sort of being ready to 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 work with them and listen as you point pointed out but um, I think it's important to have this conversation about sales because um, even you know one of the things that um, I've done in the past my students have worked with some of those technical and scientific people that you mentioned earlier that might develop something that the market, um, you know, might get right away. And even in those cases, there's, uh, especially if it's innovation, there's market education and you've got to educate the market on how to 
how the product works or how to use it and why they need it. So a lot of it is, yeah, communication and sales are so important and um, a great way to start. And for many students who say to me, I, I don't know what I want to do, um, you know, my, I encourage them to get out and just get, do something, um, you know, experience an industry, find out something, learn something and learn along the way. And sales is a, is a great place to start. And, and you started in the yearbook space. And, and um, is that a lot of cold calling? Or I mean, what kind of, what kind of, what's the industry like? Well, you know, let's say what was the industry like, and it was uh, Willie Loman. Um, I remember it, my territory is New York City, so I'd drive into the city. I'd be able to walk to a building, big old school building, go into the side door over there, stroll right in, walk around, grab a kid in the hall, say, hey, where's your art teacher? Because oftentimes the yearbook advisor whom I needed to speak with is the art teacher. Oh, yeah, she's in Ms. Jones 237. Go up to 237. I'd stand there outside the door, glancing in, you know, not wanting to intrude. Oftentimes, our teachers are very flexible. Wait, wait, wait. There's an opportunity. Hi, Mrs. Jones. My name is Tom Keogh, Taylor Publishing Company. So nice to meet you. Say, could I talk to you about your yearbook? And cold calling, nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. Um, I did it very aggressively. I did it very well. I just said to myself, okay, this is what I, I got to do. And I, got, and I became one of the best uh, salesmen in the industry for any number of reasons, one of which is work ethic, one of which is, is, is my need to persevere. We'll come back to persevere in a couple of minutes. Um, and so, yeah, tons of cold calling. Now, flash to the 2024, I can't get into the parking lot of a school that has parking lots in, in, in Long Island, they do. Um, there's a guard. He says, what do you want? Well, hi, hi, hi. Shh. Be trying to be charming. Nice to meet you. Make him laugh. And I said, I'd like to talk to your yearbook advisor. The guy says, okay, give me your card. I'll see that she gets it. Well, you know, that doesn't work. <laughs> it's not going to work. She is not. Oh, Tom Cap, I think I'll give him a call. Um, I can't get, if I do, can get into the building, I'm stopped at the gatekeeper. No, you can't come in. And that's a combination of security issues that have become much more complicated in, in, in past uh, past decade. And um, um, and just they just don't want people roaming the halls. And yeah, I, I was roaming the halls, that's for sure. And so now, as I'm coming to the end of my print yearbook life, um, the only way to reach out is digitally. And that <clears throat> takes away uh, one of my best tools, which is me, the ability to talk to people, bond with them, make them feel good. And now I have a better opportunity to say, and oh, by the way, after we had a lot of laughs, um, I've got a product and let me go ahead and tell you all about that. So it is completely, absolutely, completely changed. And um, I'll say not for the better because I kind of like being a bully moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I understand. And, and it, it's kind of sad that we've lost a lot of that. But how, what does your marketing look like now? And tell us a little bit about how the industry for digital yearbooks uh, work. Well, let, let me uh, qualify by sharing with you what the problem is. <clears throat> and it turns out for, for me and for what I'm doing, it's not what the problem is, what the problems are. Um, 
my experience, I've worked, I've always worked very closely with my yearbook staffs. I show up at my schools every three weeks. My competitors and many of my compatriots will only show up at a school. Hey, call me when you need me. Well, it's complicated putting together your book. I know that if I got a customer who's upset, having a hard time, not upset with me, just having a hard time, I'm exposed. I'm vulnerable. I do not like to be vulnerable. So I make sure I visit with everybody every three weeks. I, on my business card, it had before this before cell phones, it had my home number, it still does, and it says 24-7. And I would let people know. I say, you call me at three in the morning, I'm going to pick up the phone. And I did. Didn't get a lot of calls at three in the morning because you know what? They're they're in bed too and they don't want to get up. But being uh, being connected is important. So I know intimately what's going on. And here's the problem in the industry. Prices have just been getting out of control. The complication of building a yearbook is extremely difficult. <clears throat> the end product, the end product, yearbooks came into the, the modern yearbook, if you will, around 1890. There's yearbooks, Yale came out with a yearbook in 1865, and they're the first one on record who's done anything like that. But those kids in 1890 got their yearbook, they opened it up, they flipped through the book, they looked at the pictures, they read the text. And in 2023, last year, I delivered thousands of yearbooks. The students did the same thing, opened it up, flipped it. The end user experience has not changed. The build process has changed. That's not in the computer. The end user hasn't changed at all. Generation Z doesn't want to flip through pages. They want to swipe through pages. They spend, as you know well as better than I, the students spend an average of, of 7.6 hours a day interacting with their phones. And in my focus groups, uh, I'd ask the students three questions. Simple, I'd sit with anywhere from five to 20 students, a couple of administrators. Hey, do you want your yearbook on your phone? The overwhelming response was yes, because we want anything that can be on the phone to be on the phone. Number two, do you like the product? And the product, I don't know if you had a chance to go to our, on our website. It's just blisteringly exciting from video to updatability at all. And I won't sell the product right now, even though I want to because I'm a salesman and I want to sell much everything else to stop myself. Number three, I'd ask him, how much are you willing to pay for this product? They said anywhere from 20 to $60, which is a little bit under the typical price of a printer book. But when I told them it was $5, they carnival freaked. Um, it was so much fun. I did 12 of these. I got the exact same re results on every single one. Why did I keep on going? Because it felt good. It was validation and I enjoyed it. So that's the only reason I did that. And so um, once I got, you know, the, the validation and was able to now start going through the, the, so how do I sell this product to, and I sell it to the principal. I sell it to the, the stakeholders or the principal, the yearbook advisor and the students. And each one of them has a different need. And I have, I can help the yearbook advisor by coming out with a product they don't have to collect money for, by coming up with a product that is drag and, drag and drop simple to put together, by coming up with a product that the students want that they don't have to go out and sell. The students, they got a product that has, I'm, I'm, we're on audio, I'm just spreading my arms out this far. This is how much information a this is how much information a print book has by information. I'm talking about pictures at all. This is how many I just spread my arms way out. This is how much information a digital yearbook can have. I can have, I'll, I'll say, I, I can't say literally, but almost literally 
unlimited information, unlimited amount of pictures. I have students sitting down and, and coming up to the yearbook advisor when I'm there and she say, and I, I remember a little, little girl a couple of months ago saying, uh, Miss Jones, the yearbook advisor, um, could we get the sewing club into the yearbook? And she, you know, sadly said, no, you know, we, we really can't do that. And the girl walked away, you know, a little bit dejected. And, she, and the advisor turned to me and said, we, we just can't afford more than 210 pages, 208 pages. And so, you know, we can't get that kind of stuff in. Well, in Idiom Connect, the name of our product, not only can we get the, the, the three students who are in the, the sewing club, but we can get 265 pictures of them in there and six or seven or eight videos if they want. So we've got answers. We can keep the, the reason we call it Idiom Connect is because the protocol within the software, within, within the app, allows the students to stay in touch with each other, allows them to update what, what, what we call the My Page, which is their portal, their branding in the book. So the things, again, video is something that I don't have in my yearbook. I don't think you have in your yearbook either. And, and by the way, I ask this question often, and I'm going to ask you uh, personally, where's your yearbook? In a box. <laughs> I actually know where it is, which is probably a lot of people are like, I don't know, but I, I do, I do happen to have my high school yearbooks in a box and I, I sort of know where the box is, but not, it and would take me a while. And you know, and mine is I'm pointing over there to, to my garage where I have two yearbooks in a box. I know where it is too. I haven't seen it in 30 years, my UT yearbook and my high school yearbook. And there's kind of, less reason to look at it because it's a static product. I've seen it, I'll say 20, 25 times in my life. I, let me go through it. As we get older and more nostalgic, I, if I if it was on the desk right here, I, I'd definitely grab it and go through it again. But if your yearbook, somebody asked the kids in, in a couple of years, where's your yearbook? Well, it's here. It's right near. How far is your phone away from me? It's never farther than I'm stretching my arm out. That's where the phone is. That's where your information is. And now I can stay in touch with my friends. I can keep updated at all. Yeah. So so yeah. let me make sure I understand this correctly. Do um, do schools have both print and digital now? Or do are they are the ones that are going digital going fully digital? Fantastic question. And this is a we did a beta launch uh, last year, figured out, yeah, okay, made some mistakes, fixed them. And now we're doing our first launch. Right now we're kind of rewriting the software. We're so, sort of in a transition period. But the reality is that the majority of schools, I'd say 90%, will be doing both a print and a digital yearbook because the digital yearbook, again, one of the reasons for the $5 price break point is so that students didn't have to make the Sophie's choice between buying the $70, $80, $125 print book and what would be maybe a $20 or $30. It's just they're not going to buy in bulk. So I wanted this. I want traction. Um, I'm sort of using a, a, a version of the <clears throat> of the. What are those cars that drive around instead instead of taxis? Like Ubers. Uber, I'm, yeah. using, I'm using it now. They're still losing money on every ride. I don't know how they're still in business. They got billions of dollars investments. I'm making money at five dollars, but I'm also not making a ton. I want to get traction. I want it to be the de facto yearbook, the de facto digital product in the schoolhouse. And when I get competitors, and I will, I am positioning myself right now 
to keep them at bay as best as I yeah. can. So this is uh, this is really interesting because another problem that schools have, um, especially at the collegiate level, is staying in touch with their alum. And of course, we love to be in touch with our alum for a lot of reasons, and one of them is fundraising. So I don't know. I don't right. know if you've made that pitch or not. But but what you're talking about really is an app that I would have on my phone uh, permanently, as, and that all and um, through the through my high school or college um, yearbook. Uh, advisor. We actually decide what's going to go in there, but I also can customize what I have there as my con um, contact information. And so that over the years, um, you know, when we're planning our 10 year or 15 or 20 year reunion, we have this, this app that we can go to. Are you the first to market with this or are there others that have been? To, that yes, are, there's nothing, there's nothing like this. And by the way, one of the sections, I mean, we have sections in the year, but in, in, in Idiom Connect that you simply can't have. And one of them is future events. Um, the students can, um, there's five future events in there. So a student goes off to uh, upper level education. Uh, he, she marks there and says, I, I went to, to Radcliffe uh, College. Uh, when they get a job, they can post that for the whole class to see. When they get married, when they have a baby, when they have reunions, not everybody can get to the reunions, so the pictures will be uploaded, the the the, um, <clears throat> the videos will be uploaded, and they will also be able to structure it so that somebody in the class, everybody in the class, can reach out to the entire class. So if you have a fundraising situation, yes, that can be uh, a vehicle to reach out to the entire class. And I might also uh, suggest that deadlines, I forgot to mention deadlines before, nobody, nobody meets their deadlines anymore. Nobody does. Well, for to get a print yearbook in time, you gotta finish it at least seven to eight weeks before the end of the year. And what does that mean? End of year activities just aren't going in. There's a lot of cool stuff like, oh, graduation, most important day of the year, prom, um, et al., the, the, the spring sports and whatnot. So uh, our deadline is not, not a number of weeks, it's, 12 minutes. You hit the publish button on July, on, on June 5th. And then on June 13th, the prom happens. That gets pushed into the book. Graduation happens. That gets pushed into the book. And the book is a live document. It will be constantly being updated through life of the students. Yeah, I, I think it's a really cool idea. I'm, I'm sold and uh, you're a good salesperson. <laughs> but uh, let, let me talk about you and uh, building this company. So I, I think if I have my data correct, you worked over 40 years at, at one company in, uh, and you were primarily in sales. I think you said a, a little bit ago. So instead of retiring uh, after 42 years, you started a new company. And did you, um, did you start this company while you were still working or did you literally retire and, and go to an no, encore? No, I, I am, I am still working okay. for Taylor was changed to, to, to Balfour. They changed the name. So I'm still working for them. Um, and also maybe, maybe of interest is, um, I all along, when I first started, thought that this is a product I'm going to design, I'm going to put together, and then bring it to my company and saying, this is going to, and by the way, the yearbook industry is is at an inflection point. It is a mess. It doesn't know what it wants to do. Students are finding print products less and less relevant, and they are all trying to introduce a digital component 
without a true digital product. And what that means is they're, they're, they're pushing out foolishness that nobody's using. And I would go into, I, I've been in touch with most of the major yearbook companies and I would start like this. I'd start off with a sales manager, love sales managers. They want to sell, they want to grow. Okay, fantastic. They love, they're loving this. They're, they're seeing this as revenue generation. They bring me up to the C-suite people. They loved it. When, when they start telling me why this is a good idea, I'm thinking, okay, I got this locked up. Then they go to the CEO who says, what are you kidding? We bring this aboard. It's going to cannibalize our high, high profit margin uh, print products. So I was not able to get any traction in there, which has forced me to go out on my own, which, which is what I'm doing. So <clears throat> my print, print business has receded greatly for a number of reasons I won't bore you with, but I'm still, I'm still doing some of that, <clears throat> but I'm not, I'm not really kind of making enough money to live on that right now. So I'm dealing with, I'm working on savings and taking that money and putting it back into the company. And as of the, the last two or three, three weeks, um, I've got a potential investor who just may completely change uh, the, the tra trajectory of this yeah. company. So that I was going to ask you, so you're a few years into the concept, I think, and, and uh, you've been bootstrapping it, and, but you're looking for investors or have been. And uh, you, as you just pointed out, you may have someone. Do you, uh, you know, it's a pretty heavy lift to build your software for something like this. So could you talk about lessons you might have learned? I, I started a software company myself, and it, it was like Goldilocks. Uh, we built it three times. First time didn't do enough. The second time was overkill. It took the third time to get to what what was what would work, and there's a lot of money involved in that um, typically. So, could you talk about that? Because I think some of the listeners might be really interested in in how you can get a software based company built on a bootstrap. Well, <laughs> ouch. <clears throat> And yes, this is, uh, it, it was incredibly difficult and complicated. I designed the software. I do not know ones and zeros, but I do know, again, I had, had a deep vision of what this is going to look like. Then I started to talk to software companies who said, um, oh, we, we could do this part of it, this feature, but we can't do this feature. And I don't take no for an answer, for better or for worse. And so I said, fine, next, next, next. Um, Eventually, during this period of time when I was just starting to interview, saw, and I made some, I made some mistakes. And if we have time, I, I would like to share those because I think the best way to learn how not to do something is oh, watch yeah. somebody else. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I realized that I, I needed money. Um, I was I was meeting with investors who were saying, "Oh my gosh, this this makes sense." I, anybody over the age of forty would say to me, "Isn't this already being done?" And the answer was no, so understandably, because this, the, the digital is the next evolutionary step to um, <clears throat> in this product. And so I had investors. I had a guy offer me $1.5 million, and, and he just was the wrong guy to bring into this company for reasons I won't bore you with. It was really, really hard, but I just had to say, no, I can't take your money. And then I ate a pint of haagen ice cream and cried myself to sleep. <laughs> um, I had investors say, look, love this, but my investment uh, policy is to never be the first in. Get $400,000 and then I'll come in. And I said, well, if I get 400 grand, I'm just not going to need you. So anyway, I had to get money 
for my software because I knew I'm going. I thought I could find investors just with a with a great um, <clears throat> with a really nice looking static test article. Hey, here's what it looks like. Here's what it's going to do. Yeah, that looks well. Do it. Uh, uh, okay, that was one of my hard lessons to learn. I had to have it. So at that point, I went out and got an SBA loan. I put my house, uh, everything I own is is tied up in what I'm doing. I am all in. And by the way, hey kids, if you're not going to be all in, don't bother. Just don't bother. Go off and, and get a job somewhere else. So I got a hundred grand, and that started the process of being able to interview um, software companies in earnest and found one that I liked and they happened to be in Siberia. So the daily commute was just brutal. And, <laughs> and I found that software, software companies outside of the country typically are, are considerably less expensive than they, than they are uh, here in the States. So um, after interviewing a number of companies and having now having money, you, you got money, everything is easier. <laughs> it's just everything is easier without money. You're beg borrowing and I'm not going to say stealing, but I considered stealing multiple times. Um, no, I did not. Um, and so that's that's how I got, I got that going. And then to be able to sit down with the software writers who know software intimately, and now they're talking to me ostensibly in ones and zeros, and I'm saying, "Hamana, uh, hamana, what does that mean?" Okay. I had to learn. I had to figure out. I had to learn stuff. And again, bring people in to the company. I know I don't know everything. If I don't know something, I'm going to find somebody who does and I'm going to bring them into the company. And that's how that went. So what? tell me about your, comp your team now. Do you have full-time people working with you or is this mostly people that you've brought in? Are you sharing ownership? Um, you know, I think a lot of our listeners who are launching would be really interested in some of the things you're learning about how to, how to build the company again, still on a bootstrap and on your own, on your own money and, and sweat equity. Yeah, this is really hard. Well, you know, I'm going to actually qualify that. It, it hasn't been really hard and here's why. Um, somebody like, like Les, my COO right now that I've talked about before, he believed in it. He wanted in. The people I bought in, I bought in about five people into the company right now. And some of them because they had skill sets that I needed. Some of them because they had contacts I needed. Some of them because of the industry that, that they were in that I needed. Um, I talked, well, I'm going to say I sold them. I sold them. And, and that sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm just making stuff up. No, I showed them the product. I told them about the direction. I told them where we're going to go, what kind of company that I want this to be. And the people who I have not ever had anybody say, no, I do not want to be part of this. They all said, yeah, we want to be part of this. Okay, not paying yet. Yeah, okay, we don't care. And what I will do is I will give them equity positions when we get every, when everything kind of settles down. So if you have a good enough product, and you can you can share that product with enthusiasm. It, for me, it has not been difficult to get people involved because people people are by nature saying greedy sounds like a majority, but you know we all want something good, something exciting. With the advent of uh, I'm going to blame the Shark Tank for this. Everybody thinks they can be an entrepreneur. I, I can do that. Like that gal that she's I, I can do this. And so that's a good thing. It's a bad thing, but that means that it's a much more crowded market. That means there's more more people chasing the limited funds that are out there, especially in the early stages. Pre-seed, man, 
every when I talk to people, I would say 10 percent of the people I talk to who what I'm doing comes up um, say, oh, I got an idea. And they tell it to me. And, you know, I got to say, no, don't don't do that. People aren't going to want that um, and make them think about what they're doing. I do it very gracefully, but um, graciously, but it's still difficult. So um, it, it hasn't that hasn't been hard. And again, if they have the great idea and they and, and they and they have the vision that they can share with somebody, that is going to be their first step in putting together a team that's going to help them get to where they need to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty, um, you know, every entrepreneurial venture is very different, but the pathway there, there, there are a lot of tried and true uh, and tested, tried and tested, let me put it that way, methods for getting there. And, um, you know, one of the advantages you had, obviously, was uh, many years of experience in the industry, which helps with your uh, network, basically. And so networking is a really important skill. It, it's very closely tied to sales skills, you know, being able to communicate with people, understanding the reciprocity involved in the relationship building and uh, that everybody comes with their own agenda. And how can you help meet that and then reach the goals that you're trying to achieve. You mentioned earlier that you had made some mistakes and failure is always part of the um, the pathway to anything uh, meaningful or to success in any way. So I'm just curious, do you have any, uh, do you have a story, a failure story maybe uh, <laughs> that you'd be willing to share and, and how do you look a, at failure? A failure story? <laughs> Well, we may not have time for all of them because as you, on the path to success, there's always a lot. And there's a bunch. First of all, I want to say that in the beginning, the first couple of months, because the idea was so pressing, because it just made so much sense. I was getting a lot of positive uh, information getting back. I was, I I was having people there. I've been through a plethora of people who said, I I want to invest in this. I want to invest in this. They can't, they don't have the money and they they don't, but they get excited and they want to be part of that. Well, after three or four months, I thought to myself, gosh, gee whiz, this is easy. No. Then I said, no, it can't be this easy. And I was right. It wasn't this easy. (laughs) So mistakes early on. And this is probably not something I'm going to say you guys listening will run into. You guys and gals will run into. But um, I was introduced to an attorney because I was told, okay, we've got to get, get our corporate structure in place. That was a gigantic mistake. You can putting together the corporate structures, you know, probably well, as well as I, it's just not that complicated. You know, you get a, a decent lawyer, they will put it together. I ended up with a white shoe um, Wall Street attorney who charges 600 bucks an hour. He sat me down, he said, oh man, yeah, this is a home run. Okay, well, I know he just wasn't blowing smoke up my somewhere uh, because he was right. I knew it's a great idea. Um, but he then started to put my, put my corporate structure together so that we were ready, ready for a public launch. I, you know, even then I'm thinking, I seem to be like really far away from a public launch from going public for goodness sakes. He would call me up. And we'd have a conversation for 20 or 30 minutes and, and a lot of personality stuff because he likes to talk and whatnot. And then he called me up two days later with the exact same conversation. And eventually I started to realize this guy is doing billable hours. And he, I was into 60 
thousand dollars to this guy. And, you know, I'm not the brightest guy this side of the Picos, but I was starting to realize I was being taken advantage of. And I eventually, let, you know, fired him. But, you know, when people tell you stuff and now I'm talking to our, our friends who are listening to this, listen, listen hard. And even if they seem like they know what they're talking about, you have to go back and parse it. I was I'm going to say swindled, no tricked, nah, talked out of quite a few thousand dollars. The, the lawyer was, was the, the worst. But people who are telling me that, oh, I can get you money. This industry is unbelievably full of crooks. People, a flim flay, a man, we call them in the 20s. People who are just, they, they know you're desperate. All of us startup guys, we're all desperate. We're, we, get, we need money. Just get me some money and whatnot. Somebody comes along and says, yeah, I can get you money. Oh, really? Okay, good. He tells you all why, gives you all stuff, and then says, oh, you know, by the way, I'm going to need $1,500 to start. Uh, okay. If anybody sells that to anybody, anybody, please, please listen to me. Anybody says that, they are lying. They are lying. They're lying. And so that's a that's that's a huge issue. So I think that was was some of my some of my biggest mistakes. Yeah, that, that's really great advice. And and I agree with you. I mean, at the, in the very beginning, it's so important to test what you're doing without investing um, a ton of money. And you can create a legal entity. It's probably more important to have somebody make sure that you meet the tax and licensing and any other kinds of um, any relationships that you enter into so that you've got those clarified and, and uh, because that's what I see comes back really to bite most people. And, and I agree with you, but at the stage I was, I, I didn't have to worry about that. I hadn't launched sure. a product, didn't have any, any illegal liabilities and whatnot. So, and the people I was meeting, it was fine. So yes, you know, I, I don't mean, mean to mitigate the need for, for corporate. I now have a, a Silicon Valley corporate guy who is just really sharp. He brought us in saying, okay, understand your startup, understand you, you're, you're kind of short on money. I will take you in. I will do your corporate work for you. And I won't charge you until you get funded. And he only takes a handful of companies in under that. So I was very excited to get part of that. And now he's guiding us in the in a proper way. And again, I'm just smart enough now not to be bamboozled. Sure, sure. And that's such, I really love that you shared that because I think that those early mistakes can, you know, a lot of times it's just, can you have enough resources to get you through the early mistakes that you make? Um, and, and keep going. And uh, some people, unfortunately, uh, you know, will take advantage of you if you're not careful. So really good advice and, and good lessons. And it's kind of cool that somebody who spent even 40 years in business um, can say, hey, you know, I learned this. And I'm guessing you're continuing to learn every day as an entrepreneur. As it turns out, it's very annoying. I'm 70. And, you know, they're talking about retirement before. No, I, I have I have recognized that uh, the key, the true key to happiness is productivity, doing stuff. And so I hope never to retire. Um, there will probably be if this goes where it should go, there will probably be a pretty substantial exit. Um, and at that point, I've got a couple of other ideas that I'm real excited about bringing to bringing to market. It sounds too. like you've gotten bit by the entrepreneurial bug. <laughs> ouch, ouch. 
Well, it's it's really exciting. I love it. You know, I talk a lot about how you find opportunity and how you build companies and how you uh, continue to remain resilient in the face of failure. And um, your journey, your entrepreneurial journey is in, in many ways just getting started, but you've already shared so many great, uh, great pieces of advice and a lot of wisdom. So I'm really curious, you said you've got your, is it your beta version ready to launch or it is launching? So where are you right now with the company? So, so right now we are going to, um, the, the software I built, as I said before, when my new CTO took over, he went in there and looked at the ones and zeros and said, oh crap, this is, was so poorly built that if, if we have a problem that we need to fix that could take an hour and a half. It's going to take four or five days because it is just a jumble. It's a complete mess. And, and, and so, okay, so I'm in the process of now spending another $120,000 having that rebuilt. He's in the process of doing that. Um, to work in New York City, I had to get, uh, I had to get my software certified uh, because I'm in the schools, I'm dealing with student information, so they want to make sure that's right. I'm in the process of getting that done. And that has been just bureaucratically horrific. Yeah. But you persevere, you get through that. Um, so the software should be done. I, one of the people I bought into the company, um, I'm going to say uh, owns Staten Island in that he is uh, works for the Board of Ed, and he is the one who goes in and interfaces with exactly the people I need, the COSAs, the yearbook advisors, the APs. And so he fell in love with this, and he said, I'm going to bring this into Staten Island. I'm going to get this into 100 schools. That will be huge because, as you know, when you're talking to, a, to, to, a, to VC, they're saying how much traction you have. Or you're talking to Mark Cuban on on the on the shark tank how much track do you have <clears throat> and i have a mark cuban story i'll tell in a second um and so i have to have some traction i will now be in a position to get that traction the the gentleman i'm speaking to the very wealthy man in, in, in scottsdale arizona his name is jim um he he is causing me to pivot in a direction i never thought i would and by the way another thing that we have to be aware of is that we have to be able to pivot i read a story one time when i was doing my research on how to be an entrepreneur one of the one of the people wrote this they said the product that you designed is not going to be the product that you put together sure. i said come on come on oops yet again um and he's saying to me let's introduce a print book with it. Well, when people have asked me that question, I said, why would I introduce a product that I'm putting to bed? And why would I go in that direction? Well, he's number one, he's excited. Number two, he's got big, 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 deep pockets. I want him in, involved. Number three, he forced me to come up with a solution for a print book, which is not going to go away overnight. Eventually, it's going to go away, but it's not going to go away overnight. I've invent, I've, I've iterated, I've innovated a product where uh, once you've created the digital book, you can easily create the print book, and we can take that print book instead of owning a printing press, a printing plan. I can go to digital printing companies all over the nation. I can have regional plants next to big markets, and I can cut enormous amounts of money out of that and have a easier to create product. So it's it's kind of this is real new information is it's kind of exciting. Um, one of the other things I realized when I was putting together this product is I went to I went to a Broadway show just not so far from here and I was handed a playbill 
And I'm all excited. I'm, I'm always early. I sit down and go through my playbill and say, oh, oh, this is junk. It's got very little information in it. Oh, I can, wait a second, with the software I'm designing, I can create a digital version of the playbill. Flash to two years later, about a year ago, I'm meeting with Phil Birch, the owner of Playbill, who eventually said to me, yeah, I can do that. And that all went bad when his son, who was taking over the company from him, said, gosh, dad, if we do that, we're going to kill our $50 million a year uh, print Playbill dynasty, which they've had in the early on the market. So I will be bringing that product to schools then I'll be bringing it to Off-Broadway, then I'll bring it to Broadway, and I'm going to destroy that industry. I also realize I can put together a sports product. A football team at a high school got nothing like this. They've got maybe two or three pages in their yearbook. Oh, I've got a product for you, too. And I shared it with Mark Cuban, who said, dig this, because I'm going to bring this to pro sports, all sports, college, etc. I mean, oh, my gosh, the market is right and he said get a hundred thousand dollars in traction there and and and, and i want in well I, I have i have to focus on the uh, print book however writing the software porting it from the year to the print from the digital yearbook to these uh, vertical products is going to be very simple and easy to do because the core core the, the core software has already been written so i'm going to have products i've developed a wedding book because the wedding industry uh millennials are simply not purchasing the, uh, uh, the the print version that, that I had printed in 1976 when I got married. And where is it now? I ain't got a clue and I wouldn't look at it anyway. Um, and so there are products now for sororities and for, uh, for fraternities, for police departments, fire departments, military, and I could go on and on. So we're going to be in a position where we're going to be constantly innovating as um, as a guy named Drucker, I forget his first name, I think it was Drucker, said, innovate or die. Peter Drucker. And I'm, Peter Drucker. And, and, yeah. Peter Drucker. And, I'm, and, and Bob Iger actually stole that quote. I, I thought he was the first one who used it. But anyway, we're in a position to constantly add new products to the industry and completely. We're, I hope our plan is now, the big plan is to be the, uh, is to be the, the, the major source of, print to digital migration products. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm all out of breath. You see, you get me all excited. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you what's next, but you've got a, a long pipeline and lots of great ideas. I love it. I love it. And, you know, um, it it's just a reminder of the importance of, of passion and, and, uh, you know, belief in what you're doing and how important that is, because as you pointed out earlier, it's hard work. I know it all, it sounds uh, wonderful to everybody listening, but there's a lot, there's uh, I think four or five years of hard work that, uh, you know, plus your whole 40 year career before that of learning um, that's all gone into this. So it's, it's really exciting. I love it. Um, I'm sold and I'm excited to see where you go and excited that, um, you know, an alumnus of the school where I'm teaching is uh, finding this. And, and it's, to me, it's really kind of fun and exciting that you're doing this even after a very successful career 
um, or as an add-on, let me put it that way, maybe an encore career uh, to think about it that way. So that that's that's kind of exciting. I I love um, I'd love to keep talking. I think you and I could probably talk for another hour or two. Um, but it, you know the the um, I, I always like to bring these conversations for the podcast to a conclusion by asking uh, my listeners if they had one piece of advice, and this is probably going to be a hard one for you because you've got a lot, but if you had one piece of advice for somebody who is maybe facing uh, or hoping to, to be on, on an entrepreneurial journey or on a similar path, uh, what would that advice be? And here's... And- and this is not a hard question. And it's a one word answer. And that answer is persevere. It is your journey is going to be fraught with complications, with stunning disappointments um, and difficulties, things you don't know that, oh my gosh, now suddenly you have to know. This is really, really, really hard. And I'm, I could add another three or four reallys to that. If you aren't willing to persevere and, and pull yourself up together when you get knocked out, we've heard the term, when you get knocked down or fall off a horse, get, get back on it. Um, if, you, if you're not the kind of person who does that, simply don't get involved. Just absolutely don't waste your time in this. But if you are that kind of a person and you have at least a reasonably good concept, then charge, charge hard. I love it. I love it. And you're in very good company with that advice. Uh, that was, I think there's a quote from Steve Jobs that the difference between successful and under unsuccessful entrepreneurs is perseverance. So, um, you know, it's, it's very wise advice. So Tom, where can our listeners find out more about you and maybe connect with you and find out about Indian publishing? Well, you know what, I, <clears throat> A, I think going to the website, which is idiomconnect.com, um, and look at the product, find out what the product is, and look at it with the, with, with the entrepreneurial eye to think to yourself, because I spell out the problems and the solutions in there. I do it in a sales way, not in a business way, because I don't need to do it in that situation. But think to yourself, you know, does this make sense? Do I like this? Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me personally, I would love to, to communicate with them at my email address, which you should have is T Kehoe, K-E-H-O-E at idiom, I-D-I-O-M-Y-B dot com. Love to talk to them. And, and if you know anybody wants to end up you know, making some phone calls or Zoom sessions, I'd be happy to do that. I, I didn't have this. Um, I didn't have anybody in the industry who's doing this because in, in my world, my 70 year old friends, they're done. They're done. So um, I would be happy to to be that resource. Thank you, Tom. This has been delightful. I've really enjoyed it. And I know that our listeners will take away a lot of valuable lessons from our conversation. Thank you so much. And I'm excited to see the see what happens with Idiom. It's an exciting product, uh, actually an exciting suite of products that you talked about. So uh, really looking forward to seeing that. Good. You know what? And, and I will keep you informed. I'll, I'll send you a note now and again to keep you apprised. That sounds great. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.